Hello and welcome to Molding Masculinity. I'm Tom McFarland here again this week with Philip. And today we're going to talk about the thing that probably should have been the first episode of this podcast. Uh, what is masculinity? What is positive masculinity? What is the thing we're trying to achieve? What do we want? What is... How do, how do we define what we ourselves define as masculinity? And I think for myself, uh, the reason I didn't dive in, reason I didn't push for us to have this episode any sooner was because I was, I, I, I didn't know how I wanted to answer that myself. And I think maybe in some part I was hoping the podcast would sort of answer this for me, for uh, myself. Um, but I don't know. What was your, um, in a moment, I really, a moment I want to go into my experience and in trying to process this. But Philip, what was your experience with this? Yeah, I mean, you know, I said from the beginning when we started this thing that like my what I sort of wanted uh, was to for someone to explore this question, because I see a lot of um, when talks talking about men and men's issues and masculinity um, that generally you have one of two camps, you have the right wing for uh, talking about it, where they basically take traditional masculinity and talk about how great it is and how if everyone just did that, it would be, everything would be so much better and um, lots of stuff that I disagree with. So, um, uh, and I think I have good reasons for thinking those things are actually harmful and suck. Uh, and I think, you know, that's kind of one of the reasons I wanted to, to dig into that early on was I mean, sort of exactly that. I, w I wanted to sort of like, you know, have the case made that uh, actually, yes, um, traditional, at least many elements of traditional masculinity are uh, harmful, uh, not only at a systemic societal level, but also to the individual. Uh, um, and I thought it was important to sort of make that case. But, um, you know, this is kind of what I always wanted to do, which was, you know, what the but okay if if okay traditional masculinity is not great but like what the hell is masculinity if not traditional masculinity um and that's a big hole that i see because the other side that talks about this is the left which is often involved in critiquing modern masculine like traditional masculinity for good reason i think it's important to understand the problems of things that most people or many many people see as normal and then therefore invisible but the problem is um, you get to the end of that and it reminds me a lot of what it was like coming out of uh, religion for me where I got to the, to, I got out of it and then it's like landed and it was like, okay, well now what? <laughs> like I've torn this whole thing out of my life. This whole segment of my life has been like ripped out of me and there's a hole now. And it's like, now what do I fill it with? And they're like, anyway, have a good day. <laughs> um, and I so I really wanted someone to start talking about like, okay, well, where do we go from here? Um, and yeah, it's taken a lot of introspection and a lot of thinking and a lot of reading for me to come to at least the beginnings of a conclusion here that I'm excited to talk about with you. Yeah, I, I agree. And I think this is something that is a, a criticism from the right that isn't often in good faith but still holds validity to it which is a thing of bad faith arguments any bad faith argument there should be a, a, a 
a kernel of validity to it. That, that's how you lie. Uh, every lie contains a kernel of truth. Uh, and this is something like we see in, in Missouri, my home state, a lot with um, – uh, I, I can't remember his name and I don't need to use his name. The asshole from Missouri who uh, is a representative. He, you know, he's made it a large push of his political campaign. This push about how the left wants to destroy masculinity and leave men lost and not knowing who they are. And I think not from him because he doesn't give a fuck. He just wants to perpetuate a culture war and turn people against each other. But I think for actual folks, for regular folks, I think there's validity to a concern there that is, well, if I follow you down this road, you're telling me I need to go down and processing all of this stuff and figuring all this stuff out. Yeah, I'm going to be left in this place where I just don't know where, what it, what do I have anymore? What is my identity? What am I allowed to? And, and I see this a lot in like a lot of like white guilt spaces, you know, where people are like, oh, I've really processed the fact that all of my ancestors were uh, were colonizers and you know, there's all of this problematic stuff, especially like folks I know from the South who it's like, yeah, it's whew, when you're several generations uh, deep from the South, it's a little hard to look back on your family history. Um, so now we're now what are you left with? What what who are you? What do you what do you what do you do with that? Um, and with this, with masculinity, my. I, 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 I shared a lot of this, right? Like, I grew up with a lot of extremely traditional masculine stuff taught to me um, and kind of instilled in me. And that, uh, but also, I was very lucky to have it kind of a very specific thing to it that I, I, I don't know. I, it allowed me to process a lot of it and, and to eventually go through and figure out the things that were very toxic to me and to, begin the process of uprooting that, but also something else of the things that are, I think, are good and positive, the ability to identify the things that are good and positive, and do something else that I think is very, very much important, that we are really bad at in our society. And that is tearing down the idea of of exclusionary identities, exclusive identities, that, that those being like, well, my, I, you know, like a, like a, a, a part of my identity or a part of an identity of a thing is defined by how it is excluded from other things, right? You are in first class in an airline because you are removed from everyone else. You are, um, uh, I, I of course like you know the 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 men's section of a uh, of a department store is defined by the fact that it is separate from the women's section of a department store. I, that's maybe not a great example, but pulling from thin air there. Um, but I think with with masculinity, like you, a lot of folks kind of run into this thing of like if I decide that that is a part of my identity and masculinity. But that's not something that just defined like that isn't just something that should be defined by masculine people, right? That you know, masculine people shouldn't just get to own that thing. So therefore, that can't be a part of positive masculinity. And I disagree with that vehemently. Uh, I, I think multiple groups of people can own a thing all at the same time is kind of what I'm trying to get at. I think it's very healthy to have inclusive. Uh, elements of identities and just of, of most things, inclusive, inclusivity is more valuable than exclusivity. Um, and so that really is kind of where that brings me into line with where my like 
things that make up what I consider as my masculine identity, the things that are why I identify as masculine, are things that I 100% believe can also just as just as effectively be parts of feminine identity. Um, and and, and non-binary identity and and of a number of uh, like any 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 form of identity you wish to put together um and i think part of that has been for me influenced by the fact that a lot of the things that i ident like that i categorize as part of my masculine identity weren't even taught to me by my dad or masculine figures in my life it was taught by my mom and and, and other women in my life uh yeah this this is uh this to me was like the hardest sort of thing to barrier to get over um is that you know i think rejecting these like clean packages that are given sort of by default to men and women um is comes with this fundamental problem of that like uh it's difficult to to repackage that um because the package was kind of made up to begin with uh it, it's it's more like uh it's it's sort of like a um the emperor's new clothes type of thing it's like you realize the emperor's naked and now you're like okay well he's naked so like what invisible clothes should we put on him and then you're like uh, I mean, whatever you want, I guess, like, uh, like imagine whatever clothes you like on the man, he's naked. And, and, and I do agree with that at some level that said, I think, uh, something this big has a sort of like, there, there are lots of ways that we define words and you actually kind of touched on one a second ago. Uh, I forget the terms for these, but, um, some words are defined as being, uh, a friend of mine taught taught me this concept and I uh, can never remember the actual vocabulary for it, but um, basically uh, like some words are whitelists. They're like uh, the, like, here's a set of things. This word is like captures these things and they're kind of defined um, by fiat. That's it. Some of them are blacklisted. It's like, uh, what is this thing? And this is the kind of definition you touched on. It's like, this thing is anything that's not these things. So uh, the word edible, I think is kind of like this, like, yeah, what is, what is edible? Anything that doesn't kill you if you eat it. <laughs> so you're like, it's everything that you, that's, that you can eat that isn't the things that kill you. But, but some things are, are, have, the, have this fuzzier definition. Some things are very explicitly defined. Science does this a lot of like, we are going to come up with rigorous criteria. We carve out a very specific section of conceptual space. And if it's in the lines, it's that thing. If it's out of the lines, it's not. That's the third way. The final way is a way that a lot of words are defined, which is in a fuzzy way. You grow up and someone says, what is, you know, like, uh, someone uses a word and you're like, oh, what do you mean by that? Oh, it's like this thing. This thing is a blank. Um, uh, toy or game is a really good example of this. You're like, oh, what's a game? Oh, a game's the thing that we have fun with and we do with people. And then you're like, oh, well, video games you by yourself. Okay, well, that's a different kind of game. Um, and you, like, what is a game? It's actually, if you sit down and try to rig rigorously define it, it's extraordinarily difficult. Um, and people will have endless, endless debates on whether or not, um, you know, uh, this is a game or that is a game. Uh, 
and I think that the whole problem stems from the fact that games are one of these ones that's just defined as people give add examples to a bucket. And we all kind of look at the bucket and be like, yeah, I see how they kind of all share a thing roughly, but there's always like exceptions on the edges. Um, and I think while masculinity, so I, all that set up for this point, masculinity has an element in which it is defined as some sort of opposition to femininity, or if you go into like fundamental biology, you might say someone with insemination physiology, um, although, you know, like that whole separation of gender and sex. Um, but I think there's another element to it that came with the whole package initially, uh, like the sort of default societal package of like, what is a man? Um, that is more defined in terms of buckets of examples. The ancient Romans had certain examples of masculinity. America has certain examples of masculinity in 2021 that are different than the ones that we had in 1900. You know, these are, and, and, and that ideal man has changed, morphed, and not really by explicitly, but rather by new examples coming up and the bucket sort of slightly shifting over time. Um, so I say all that to say, um, some of the work that I did was less trying to figure out what make what's special about men that women can't have that makes men masculine that's good and not toxic, because the answer to that question to me is nothing. Um, any positive trait a person can have, you can have regardless of your gender. Um, but I do think that you that there is a definition of masculinity that is, let's think of a bunch of masculine presenting people and characters and media and stuff like that and start to look at what kind of attributes do we see in these things that are shown as masculine characters or people and what kind of traits do they exemplify? Um, and to me, that is a way to start building out a sort of replacement masculinity to sort of sit in the place of um, traditional masculinity to sort of occupy that hole um, that's left from having to tear out the sort of default package that you're given. So sorry, that was a little long-winded, but I felt like I wanted to sort of like you know, make the case for, for this because it's kind of a, a fuzzy, a fuzzy thing, you know? No, oh, no, I agree. And I think that's very valuable and something that both adds to what I was just saying and, um, takes at least me in a different direction and in, in some of my own thinking. Yeah. Yeah. I think I, and in a lot of ways I inadvertently or, or, or otherwise, uh, do, do so sort of the same thing. Like when I think about what makes up my identity my masculine identity, I tend to kind of go to, yeah, this bucket of examples that I've had presented to me throughout my life. That bucket includes my dad. It also includes a lot of fictional characters as like, as I was growing up in that, like that, 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 that age range where you're really uh, finding your identities and trying to figure out who you are. Uh, a lot of this like nautical fiction stuff that I would read that was very specifically written 
for that intention of like you know, right like a lot of these uh, these novels would actually be written uh with like the main character would be like a 13 year old midshipman on uh, an english sailing ship uh during the age of sail and is there like leaving home and then experiencing the world for the first time and having to navigate all of these different elements of it and, and like that, that, that honestly, that whole structure is kind of the first thing that pops to mind for me. And, and even though that was very intentionally done to mold the masculinity of of young men and often with some like, you know, there was a lot of notes to those books that were I mean, it was uh, written by colonizers for colonizers. Right. There's some issues there in, 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 in embedded in a lot of that. But there was also a lot of good that I pulled out of it of like, you know, the ideas of 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 honesty and of uh, of, you know, uh, nonviolence and um, and and, and just, I don't know, it, you know, it's hard to kind of list off all of those things, because, again, it's really coming forward as a set of examples, right? Like, what is a good character person? Well, it's hard to say that exact good character person, but you immediately recognize it in fiction or in uh, even in real life examples, which are often a little bit fictitious because the people we tend to idolize as perfect examples of character are often are not in, are not perfect because people are imperfect. But um, yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that there's an immense amount of validity to that bucket of examples theory, and uh, I never thought about it or processed it in that way before. It, it was really helpful, and you know, I think I think the important thing with with masculinity and a you know bucket of examples um, idea is that to to keep in mind that like you're gonna you what you aren't going to come up with is a um none of these kinds of definitions end up with like sort of as rigorous thing you, that you can confidently like just like say like draw hard lines in the sand and say like here's where masculinity is here's where it starts and here's where it ends um pretty much everything you're going to come up with even though you will be able to find and, and like one of the things i wanted to do i thought it could be useful is like talk about some of the examples that you know i thought of and came came through in in researching like you know what are some examples of this you're not gonna like you're not gonna get the uh yeah you're not gonna get clear lines but uh you will see patterns but you what you won't get is this like women can't be like this but men can you know like they're just gonna sound like um things that are just positive human traits which like yeah they are and if you listen to like what makes men men and you take out the toxic masculinity parts which we've talked a lot about what you're left with is a set of positive traits that women can have too so even traditional masculinity is you know made up in this way so um i mean i like, think that's important to recognize when when sort of going through this like there's going to be this feeling of like yeah but like you know how's that special to men it's like well it's not but neither was traditional masculinity. Um, that was just a trick that, that your mind played on you because society said it was true. A hundred percent. I mean, the one that jumps to mind immediately for me is like, I think it's kind of a core pinnacle of all of the traditional masculine spaces and the ones at least I grew up in was that, well, the, the, the identifier of a man is that he keeps his word. A man holds his word. It's a man's word and his handshake as like a symbol of his word. When you pull apart 
the a lot of like you know you, you pull apart something more like uh i mean there really is that's aren't women supposed to be honest too especially like um in a modern like in a in, yeah i mean like there's no reason that that only applies to men that doesn't mean it's not a can't be a it should be a side of positive masculinity being honest and truthful with the people around you is 100% an element of positive masculinity um and it also exists in traditional masculinity but it's yeah it's a little different and often has some like attachments that are toxic yeah absolutely so um i want to go to the first example because like um uh, a lot of these are going to end up being like characters um, because I think a lot of the way that masculinity gets defined and, and talked about uh, popularly actually is in pop culture and pop characters and stuff like that. Um, but uh, I wanted to start off with one real example so that, so that it was a little bit clear that like we weren't um, just inventing just some fantasy, you know, like, uh, or, or sort of like making up, you know, what just speaking and choosing like handfuls of men or whatever, um, from, from media. Uh, and so the first one that came across like as a real person was, um, Mr. Rogers. I think he's very popular, uh, when it comes to, uh, thinking about like non-toxic masculinity Mr. Rogers is someone who exemplifies a lot of the things that I think are things that are a combination of things that, that when you watch Mr. Rogers, um, there is a, you don't watch him and go like, man, what a feminine man. You know what I mean? Like he doesn't, he doesn't come across as like trying to be effeminate. He seems very just like wholesome, right? Uh, there's nothing non-masculine about him, but what he isn't is a lot of things that we typically associate with, you know, um, masculinity in a traditional sense. He's not rough and tumble and, and uh, you know, aggressive and str strong and at least not physically strong in some sort of obvious like violent sort of way but what he is is calm which is a little bit of uh, attached to traditional masculinity he's compassionate he's uh understanding he's empathic he's um brave he tackles in that show, a show intended generally for children, um, some really heavy topics. Um, there's a famous Mr. Rogers episode where he talks about death. Uh, and the man had a mission, a goal, and he was brave not just in tackling hard topics on a show for kids. He was brave in... I mean, the man had to go and like testify in front of Congress to try to get, keep funding for his show and, and others it it takes a lot to stand up and say with the amount of like power and confidence that he did in his testimony to congress 
to like stand in front of all those powerful people and and just say like yeah this needs to be done this is important it we have we do are an important thing and it deserves um it deserves public funding um i i think there's a, a whole lot to admire about him both in the mission that he had the amount of passion and bravery and uh emotional strength that he put into it um the, the and the values of like resiliency and um empathy and compassion that are built into his project and his show and his persona um I, I just think there's a lot to admire about mr rogers and um he was someone that it took me a long time to think of when i was trying to reflect on real people that i could think of that truly exhibited um a positive masculinity um just because um you know he's popular to show to kids but you don't really think of him as an example for adults um because once you kind of get old enough you know like it's kind of treated like oh yeah those things are 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 things that kids should be but when you're a man you gotta toughen up and all that stuff like i think that's kind of i think i had this like block in my head of like kind of like finding one of those roots that we talked about you know the roots of an old idea in my head is like why couldn't i think of that until i got reminded of it in some article that i read and i was like oh right of course i knew about that example um just because it was sort of blocked for me as like too far away from uh the sort of like space of masculine people in my mind uh which made me realize that in fact even still with all the criticism that we've gone through you know i still have this kind of disjoint in my head of like what i think of as masculine and what i want masculinity to be um that even within my own head that fight continues to go on and and have to shift and 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 spend a lot of introspection uh moving that around <laughs> yeah and i mean and, and i think i want to take you know what, what you just said right there too and a couple of other elements of what you just said and and, and pull those together and like i in, in my other podcast and handy with handguns i talked one episode about how a lot of rural folks rural men particularly are aggressively taught uh to to, to get rid of our empathy it's something that is there is a certain time when you are a young man where a older man in your family often your dad sometimes a grandpa maybe an uncle is going to take you out hunting and the entire purpose of the hunting trip is to kill an animal and then often uh process or butcher that animal um so that you become comfortable with death so that you the point isn't to make you understand death it's to make you tough to make you ignore death and that is toxic it, it it's it's not the right way of going about that right like you know the idea we there's like the positive elements there right of like there, right. there are positive yeah. elements of yes we need to become emotionally strong able to deal with things able to understand the realities of the of life around us and of death around us and to be able to weather those uh emotional uh difficulties when they approach us those are all things we need to learn and that is where we see this positive like a positive masculine 
element of that there in Mr. Rogers of saying, hey, we're going to sit down and we're going to talk about death and, you know, having the strength to process and discuss those kind of topics taken away with, with the toxicity removed of you need to be able to kill without thinking, right? Yeah, for sure. And I was, you know, going to say that uh, up until the point that you, you said it, <laughs> uh, which was that like, yeah, sort of exactly. That's the, that's kind of the, the, always the tension is like things like that. It's like, well, there is a, there is an element of, of positivity and truth in that. And that like, you know, uh, you do need to be comfortable with death in a, in a certain way. Uh, you don't want the death of a family member or something to just completely uh, turn you into, you know, sink you into uh, a horrible depression or anything. Um, that said, um, it certainly is, you certainly don't do, certainly it can't be that the best way to do that is to go and create a giant emotional scar and fill it up with emotional scar tissue. Um, that doesn't seem right either. Um, so there's got to be some kind of in between here. I feel like um, that is, uh, I think, exemplified a lot in a lot of ways. And in, in uh, you know, Mr. Rogers is an example um, of like, yeah, look, this. There, I mean, I think that's part of the reason he did that episode, right? Is like uh, we need an example of of having, you know seeing how one might be able to process this with without uh you know needing it to just be like well you know suck it up be a man you know deal with it <laughs> you know that's not the message of mr rogers's episode and i don't and i don't think it should be the message that, of society in general you know it's the positive yeah that, that, that i mean i think that's a very clear example of a positive masculinity versus a toxic masculinity there the toxic of like okay we're gonna go into the woods and murder a small animal and you're not going to feel anything and if you do feel anything we're gonna do it again until you don't and then a positive masculinity of like okay we're gonna talk about what death is we're gonna process this we're gonna have some hard discussions and in the end once we get through all of this we're going to need to be able to cope with death when it happens in our lives because it will happen in our lives because it's a part of the cycle of life like that's for sure. Uh, another example that might come as a bit of a surprise because I think when people think of this character, they typically think that it's traditionally masculine is uh, Captain America. <laughs> um, There's a lot to unpack here, and I'm ready to unpack it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So <laughs> I have I have an argument here because I thought that this might uh, be slightly controversial. Um, the um part of the arc of the character actually if you're if you're looking at the sort of modern marvel movies is that he is a lot of his arc is struggling with uh his like you know he he's from a previous time right and he wakes up in the modern era and a lot of his character arc is struggling with the ways that expectations have changed since the time he was previously alive that's not unlike <laughs> uh, a lot of the stuff we've talked about here on, on this, you know, podcast. Um, and 
I, I think there's also like um, another argument here of like, um, you know, he's a soldier, right? Like soldiers have been very traditionally masculine. And, you know, I think you and I both would have um, criticisms of the whole like warrior identity being part of um, masculinity. But I think there are some positive parts of that. And I think it's, it's important to recognize that like Captain America fights with just a shield. Sure, he uses it in an offensive way sometimes. Like we all know it's like an actual weapon, like sure. But like, it's a thing that's made for defense. It's default is to be defensive. I think there's something to that personally. Um, and uh, so I, 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 I think that like Captain America, especially like the modern character, uh, and certainly when you talk about a character that has so many iterations as anything in comic books, uh, there's going to be examples and counterexamples you can pull from the entirety of the thing. But speaking largely to it as, at least in, in the movies, uh, I, I do think that there is um, an argument to be made that like a lot of his um, character is in is showing that it's okay to wrestle with your masculine identity and and to change it yeah i i agree 100 percent. and we see him dealing with things um such as uh you know his own insecurity about his body in the first episode i mean the first movie you know the expectations of other people and and, and yeah there's like social expectations of him that don't quite mash mesh and also a social expectations of what a person should do as the right thing and as the wrong thing. And I mean, that's a huge part of his whole, whole story arc is this idea that he has his sense of right and wrong. And that isn't necessarily, that doesn't necessarily mesh with the right and wrong sense of the world around him. And that's like, we're, I, I, I in my opinion, part of the, like, it, Okay, one of the things that really irks me with Captain yeah, there's America... Yeah, there's, there's certainly an uh, interpretive element when you're talking about any fictional character, especially... Well, with anyone, but especially a fictional character. Yeah, and I mean, and like one of the you know, things that like conservative friends of mine, former friends of mine, um, that I saw really cling to the identity of Captain America often did so is like as if he was representing like American military prowess. And that to me seems to fly so much in the face of Captain America. Like, yes, he's a veteran, but like, he's a veteran. Like my dad was right. Uh, he's a veteran in that the U S military used him as a weapon, used him up and then kind of moved on. And then, Oh, here he is again. We're going to use him up and then kind of moved on. And he keeps getting caught in the cycle of that in the end of his story it's not that he's doing it for the government and 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 then specifically like when you look at stark as his kind of not a nemesis but you know his like hero nemesis i suppose you would say the whole like element of that is because stark represents the military military industrial complex of marvel yeah. the military industrial complex that created him and created a lot of the things that he's having to cope with and that's where that tension originates from. And so it bugs me when people like tie him to like pro 
military industrial complex and it's like that's he is a he is a product of the military industrial complex but he definitely isn't like a fan of it a lot like he doesn't want there to be more super soldiers because he doesn't like what it did to him like i don't know maybe i'm reading too no, much i mean that. <laughs> no you're 100 percent correct uh in my opinion like there is certainly an element of like i i feel like a lot of people um I feel like a lot of the people that do this have it, it have a little bit of a, I'll, I'll say like in good faith, uh, a bad take on the character. Um, he's, they, they, I think that they kind of take the surface level and just like go with that, you know? Like if you look at the, like I'm not a huge comic book nerd, so like I can't entirely speak to this, like, uh, at least not in the not as well as, as some might be able to <laughs> the character is like a lot of the point of captain america is to like he is the embodiment of america but a huge part of that in in both the comics and especially in the movies has been a well you know what is that relationship like as someone who kind of like you know, sort of stands as sort of almost like the quintessential person that loves like America, but specifically oftentimes like, what does that mean? Does he stand for the nation itself? What the nation stands for, its ideals, what the, like, what uh, sort of like the moral framework of like all men are created equal, uh, you know, like if America doesn't hold up to America's ideals, what does Captain America do? Is like a really common question and trope in, captain america stuff <laughs> you know that question very rarely comes out like in the comic books at in either the comic books or the movies as uh actually america's uncomplicatedly good and uh captain america uh owns the terrorist lull um you know it's it's always a, a struggle of like he he wrestles a lot with and uh, I think anyone who comes out of seeing anything involving Captain America and goes like, this guy's uncomplicatedly pro-imperialist uh, America uh, and pro-military and pro-everything is like just not paying attention. <laughs> uh, they are seeing the red, white, and blue on his shield and being like, America! <laughs> and, then not, and then turning off their thought process. <laughs> Yeah, and I mean, and this was super relevant, super pre prevalent, um, to my point, with uh, Winter Soldier and Falcon, Falcon and Winter, Falcon and Winter Soldier. I, I, I always screw up the name of that, and, and I usually just turn it into Captain Falcon, but Falcon and Winter Soldier, Winter and Soldier <laughs> and Falcon, whatever. Um, so many people got, like, frustrated. Uh, I mean, you know, certain people got frustrated after that show finished um, with an attitude of like, how dare it be woke, basically. And it was like all of the concepts being discussed in that are core and constant to the concepts being discussed in Captain America. Like it, it's all the same stuff, but it's in a much more condensed form. Um, and I, I mean, I have problems in the other direction with Falcon and Winter Soldier. I, I, I don't think that, uh, I, I think the, the villains of that show were not villains at all. 
but it, it that's uh, that's a whole other point um like <laughs> it, it yeah i i agree with you and i think captain america is a fantastic positive masculinity a positive potential for positive masculinity. I think a lot of people put a lot of negative things, like a lot of things onto him that he doesn't ascribe to. Um, I think a lot of people skew, like the one that I've heard skewed a lot is the Captain America quote about like standing beside the river of truth and refusing to back down. I, I, I can't quote that accurately. But you know the gist of it if you know the gist of it. And I, I've heard that one kind of twisted around a lot with like, well, I've made a conspiracy theory and I'm going to stand beside it like Captain America would beside the, beside the River of Truth. And it's like, that's not really, <laughs> like, I don't know. <laughs> that's It reminds me of the meme that's like, uh, that's not how this works. That's not how any of this works. Um <laughs> Uh, Captain America wasn't out here being like, vaccines are bad and I'm going to stand here and like shield to death anybody who argues with me. Like, no, he was saying that like fascism is bad and controlling other people or killing people or generally doing bad things is bad. And you don't get to call it good just because of a profit motive. Uh, this is America. I don't know what you're talking about. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I I agree. Well, and, and I'll just say, like, there are bad takes abound when it comes to uh, dealing with anything. Uh, I mean, it's, you know, fictional media, like uh, Starship Troopers, for instance. When you look at the book, which the book was very much a book about, like, a pro-fascist book, uh, the movie was a very anti-fascist movie that the director actively tried to, he wanted to make something that would be a satire of the book, to, to kind of make fun of the book, and specifically to point out, like, to kind of poke fun at fascism, and people completely did not like understand the assignment and i mean like there are interviews with the director where he's specifically talking about how like i put them in nazi uniforms and y'all didn't get it y'all came back after the movie like wow yeah i loved starship troopers like all of the heroes were fantastic and i wish the future was like that and he's like you did not understand the assignment i put them in nazi (laughs) uniforms for a reason (laughs) yeah (laughs) For sure. Yeah. It's, it's like, uh, it's the fundamental problem of, uh, you know, um, presenting symbols that are accurate to problematic things, uh, or, or, you know, morally more moral questions like, you know, like, like fascism, right. Uh, is a a thing that most people don't like, uh, but some people really like, (laughs) and, uh, those, you you present a movie that that really demonstrates how obviously like you know how obviously fascist it is and the unfortunate part is all the fascists are going to look at it and be like yeah that's great that's exactly what i want <laughs> yeah and you're like well no but like it, I, come on look at the tone i obviously am making fun of it and they're like i don't know what you're talking about <laughs> uh i unironically like this as it is and i do not think that it's uh campy or sarcastic and you're like Okay. <laughs> Can't really do anything about that, I guess. Right. So, what's our next example? 
in part of my investigation on this, the last one that I'll have offhand, you know, it's 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 one thing to think of figures that I can come up with and go, uh, this is positive masculinity. I was kind of curious since I'm, you know, sort of in the middle of uh, ushering someone into uh, masculinity at the moment. Uh, I thought it would be interesting to ask him what he sees as, you know, positive male role models. Um, uh, my son, my oldest son. And um, it was very interesting. Uh, of course, I got the, you know, the very heartwarming uh, answer that you, of course, expect to get from your elementary grade child of like, oh, you dad. Okay. Yeah. I, thank you. It's, I was very flattered, but I was really trying to like see. And uh, he came up with, um, I was like, oh, I thank you. You know, like anyone else besides me. And uh, he said his karate instructor, instructors, his taekwondo instructors, which I thought was really interesting because I hadn't thought about it from this angle before. But certainly, I actually do think that a lot of um, the elements of, like, at least the, uh, you know, I, my understanding is that martial arts in general is, um, you know, very, uh, can be very um, dojo dependent, you know. Uh, but certainly the one he goes to, you know, they're, they have these, you know, tenets that they try to hold up and hold by, and they're actually pretty good their they, their six sort of tenets are courtesy integrity perseverance self-control respect and victory uh victory sort of representing doing your best achieving personal victories not necessarily always like winning although you know that is often a byproduct of you know becoming excellent at something uh, i hadn't really thought of his taekwondo as being a source of positive masculinity but then i thought about it I was like actually yeah like a lot of that stuff is like you know um it checks out you know um so anyway that was something i was kind of thinking of in terms of like what would be um you know a, a positive masculinity i think uh at least um good mentors in something like you know a martial art or something can certainly be very important yeah i i agree and i mean yeah i had a very when i lived in china i uh studied chinese martial arts where i was while i was there and i had a very like even though i did not speak like even though i was studying chinese language he spoke a very specific extremely rural dialect of chinese that like most chinese students couldn't understand so i did not i was never actually able to co directly communicate with him but my uh shifu uh my chinese martial arts instructor there uh like yeah i had a very like uh good relate like a similar kind of a relationship there where it was like yeah because it was yeah like as part of martial arts is learning like those kind of core tenets and ideas and it was like same with that of like you know when we would do different things he would talk about it like now with this we need to think about like you know controlling our emotions and uh like yeah i know i get that that makes sense i so okay i'm gonna give um a fictional and real one of my own. It's, it's, I, I find it very hard to find real 
um, examples of positive masculinity outside of like, you know, yeah, your dad, the, the obvious one, because like, especially using celebrities or um, famous people of history is that, you know, they're all we every day we learn some horrifying thing of somebody who has achieved that level of notoriety partly because in order to achieve that level of notoriety in a society you, you there's certain elements of personality you need to have that it, i don't know generally it's good to avoid uh um standing celebrities i think but um I, yeah i agree i mean there's a there's a system there's a selection mechanism of like people who get to that level very rarely do so without some sort of proclivity that um you know, the, this, the, that, you know, Hollywood or whatever, you know, is willing to just accept, you know, uh, without some level of acquiescence to what goes on there. Uh, no one, no one gets to the top by being the squeaky wheel all the way. <laughs> just yeah. go that way. But, um, so one of my earliest, like, fictional examples of positive masculinity that very much followed in line with the idea of the books that I would read at the time. And that was Jean-Luc Picard. Um, uh, oh, that's a really good one. I, and that's another one that I'm surprised I didn't think of because I'm, I fucking love Star Trek. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And I mean, and that's it, it, it honestly, in a lot of ways, because I was a homeschooled kid who was, uh, an only child, um, it kind of, to this day, screwed up some of my perceptions of the world of watching Star Trek did. Uh, it's part of where, like, some people have noticed that I have some mannerisms that are kind of um, not militant, but military, you know, like the way I, I don't know, I carry and the way I behave. And part of that comes from a childhood of watching incessant amounts, unhealthy amounts of Star Trek. Um, in copying like Jean-Luc Picard's mannerisms, um, wanting to be that kind of a person. I wanted to be an officer aboard a starship with principles, with the, you know, because I mean, that was Jean-Luc Picard's whole thing was principles and integrity and what the, you know, what, uh, what, what the, um, what Starfleet was supposed to be and when it didn't meet its principles and how he handled that and how he coped with those kind of things, the interpersonal relationships, the ideas of like violence and non-aggression uh, and non-violence and all of that kind of stuff. All, I mean, that all of Star Trek Next Generation was about trying to explore the, you know, the human final frontier of humanity. And that really resonated with me as a kid. Um, like I said, oh, yeah, in, same, <laughs> yeah, like in some ways too much. Um, and then you know, because like I get like I have definitely in the workplace had some like ideas about how I thought things would operate, but in, in interpersonal relationships, because the way like the most predominant model of interpersonal relationships I have is how people have interpersonal relationships in Star Trek, and that is not accurate to the real world, but um, I uh. Yeah, I, you know, and then even as I became an adult, then um, his name, Sir Patrick Stewart, Patrick Stewart himself, like learning more about him and watching him in his actual life, uh, learning his professional life, also became very much a um, a uh, po role, you know, positive masculinity role model. Um, his advocacy, his very vehement advocacy, and the fact that he generally was like he. He really tried to pursue 
um, his art and profession for his enjoyment of it and not necessarily for the profit motive of it. And it was something I've, I don't know, I, I respect him a lot. And that um, is definitely largely influenced by his on, on screen character. But uh, yeah, I think, it, I think that was it's definitely a big one for me. That I also tend to find that whenever I, you know, like, and there's a lot of problematic people in the Star Trek universe. I mean, like, in the, sure, in the yeah. Star Trek fandom, I mean, like, the Star Trek fandom can be very problematic. But I find that most folks that I run into who also kind of see, like, um, Jean-Luc Picard as, like, a, as a role model and as somebody they really appreciate and respect are usually pretty cool people <laughs> and uh i sure, you know yeah. and meanwhile the people who want to come at me and tell me about how, how jean-luc picard was a war criminal are usually <laughs> some problematic fascists <laughs> but um you know, yeah not to say that of course the, you know the nature of the of, of fictional universes is that none of your characters are perfect of course they all make mistakes and do bad things but yeah i don't know that yeah that's i think that's kind of my takeaway of, of fictional characters is like yeah yeah, I, I, I honestly like uh, I could go on. Uh, we could have a whole episode on just like Star Trek's relationship to masculinity. Uh, I think a lot of people uh, don't uh, give the appreciation that is deserved to uh, uh, Worf as a character and his relationship to masculinity. Obviously, people like like Worf forever. It's not like Worf is like disdained by the fandom at large or anything but like certainly uh i've said this before to people and 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 gotten a lot of surprise reactions which makes me think that like i mean surely if i looked on the internet i'd find someone with this take but uh like to me like the entire point of uh i think that a lot of uh i think a lot of the alien races are aspects of humanity uh amplified personified to an extreme degree and i think uh, Worf, I think the Klingons, but Worf, I think the Klingons in general act as like sort of a mirror to toxic masculinity. And I think Worf acts as a lens of someone struggling with that because in Next Generation, he's joined Starfleet. He's sort of come out of the traditional Klingon model and wants to join this thing that's like greater and, and uh, you know, bigger or whatever. And, you know, he struggles a lot with his relationship to his people uh, and his love of starfleet and all that stuff but and, yeah. and i'm and sure we, like half the audience at this point that we have is probably like oh my god <laughs> nerds god uh, but i mean also in his role i mean his role as a new parent with alexander um and and have in in his abandonment of alexander how he abandons his role as a parent um and and then how he later on has to reckon with that um i i think all of that is also yeah, very important, and 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 says a lot for yeah, like imperfect characters having to deal with things because we are as actual humans in the actual real world, we are imperfect characters um, who uh, have to process our own Klingon teachings, and uh, we're going to make mistakes and do some very monumentally bad things at times, and learning how to process that and rectify those mistakes and, 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 and not make them again is very critical and very important. Um, yeah. Yeah, for sure. So I think we've made a pretty rounded discussion on what 
influences at least our attitudes of, of, of positive masculinity, how we kind of see positive masculinity in our own masculine identities. Um, I, uh, like I said, like I, you know, I, I, for me, I think it's very non, uh, exclusive and very inclusive. I mean, well, I, and okay, not to keep bouncing back to Star Trek, I'm going to be very brief with this one, but also a huge, to be frank, a huge positive masculinity, um, role model for me was Captain Janeway, um, who is a, uh, the captain of a starship as a woman. She was the first, uh, woman in the Star Trek franchise to be a captain and she exemplified to a better degree a lot of the things that I eventually really took up as like kind of my stanchions of my own personal masculinity uh um she was a badass and I mean and that falls in line with again like my mom influenced a lot of my things that I consider uh, elements of positive masculinity and so those specific things being um like self-sufficiency you've joked before on here about how I'm a bit of a prepper and uh survivalist <laughs> uh that's something that does like very much to me is a kind of a part of my identity and a part of that is that it's a part of my Ozarkian identity which also gets into a whole other thing of like uh geographical identities being also inclusive, um, which I think is actually an excellent example of when I talk about inclusive and exclusive uh, identities, like because Southerners and Midwesterners have a lot of very similar things that exist in their regional identities, but they all both recognize like, yeah, we both like biscuits, but like we're allowed to both like biscuits. You can't like biscuits and not be from the South. And that's a problem. So anyways, yeah. And so, I mean, I was... Um, yeah, like the, uh, those kind of things. A lot of that stuff, like I said, self sufficiency, um, the ability to learn new tasks, to to try to like uh, you know, empathy. I I learned a lot of my empathy, a lot of my emotional skills. I learned from my mom, and those are something that I think are very important to my masculinity. Um, is those yeah. emotional skills that I learned, that my ability to communicate with people and understand people and understand w w what their needs and wants are, that's an element to me of my positive masculinity. And that doesn't mean that people who aren't masculine can't have that, but it just, for me, forms that, um, that framework that operates in my head that kind of tells me who I am. For sure, yeah. Um, I, I think our intent here is to explore the explore like more specific aspects of this uh, in in some of some of the coming episodes. So like if uh, I know I'm certainly have some some very particular items that I want to unpack. Uh, I you know if anyone has uh, a particular uh, masculine role model or um, you know, an aspect of, of positive masculinity you'd like to see us explore, you know, let us know in comments or on our Facebook page. Um, uh, I'd really like to know what, what people are curious to hear about, because I, I know what parts that I'm, I'm curious to explore, but um, I'm sure this is a very deep well, um, but um, yeah. So let us know if there's anything in particular you want us to, to start exploring. I think we're really going to start trying to spend the effort building out a um you know something a little bit more 
like we're we're going to be building out more of a positive case for what what we'd like to see masculinity become than merely just spend all of our time uh, criticizing the current existence of masculinity. A hundred percent. And also, like, if you have a a story about your own path towards into masculinity, especially if it's something outside of the uh, hegemony of society, if you are a trans person with your own um, path into masculinity, if you're non-binary, but you have your own, like, uh, elements of your identity that you do think are masculine, even though you're non-binary, like, I mean, this is something that infinite um infinite uh possibilities and infinite combinations right am i, am I saying that correctly um it just uh, yeah i don't know what you're what reference you're trying to make so i i don't know if you're you know quote unquote correct but it the gist is there like you know in, yeah yeah i get what you're trying to say like it's uh yeah it's a sort of endless possibilities of of, of combinations of things i mean um people make entire academic career exploring singular facets of <laughs> masculinity uh and gender identities and stuff like that so if we're doing know, it I'm for free pretend like we're gonna we're gonna cover it all don't worry <laughs> yeah. yeah well uh do we have anything else this week we want to dive into uh not off the top of my head i i think that that pretty well covers uh, what i had to talk about today yep same here um also of course if you have an organization you would like to give a shout out to or have us give a shout out to or uh, in any other way represent on the air uh send us a message or at us on social medias or whatever it is you need to do to get that message to us and we'll look into it um do you have anything you would like to plug this week philip nah i'm i'm good and we're uh you know normally plug red dirt collective we're in the middle of uh you know holiday season is kind of a low activity time for us so we're kind of gearing up and figuring out what we're gonna you know what are gonna be our big focuses on this coming year Uh, i'm excited to eventually share that but um you know not ready yet yeah and i mean and same thing here with the podcast it is the holidays so please bear with us as we're maybe a little late on some episodes and maybe we skip a week here and there because uh time with our folks is a higher priority and uh yeah i mean i can almost guarantee you we're not posting the week of christmas given we typically record these on friday or saturday and that's literally christmas eve and christmas day both of which i have plans for so uh, i'm I'm not going to be in the state and yeah (laughs) so there's probably gonna be a week but so far i don't think anyone's uh no one's no one's too mean to us when we miss a week at least not yet so no (laughs) uh i um I'm comfortable recording in my own closet, but if when I travel to my folks' places, I'm not going to hide in somebody's closet to record a podcast. So, <laughs> you coward. <laughs> uh, but, yeah. Anyways, uh, thank you all for joining us this week. Uh, look forward to talking about more of this, more in depth, more positive stuff, talking about, yeah, more positive things and not just criticisms as we move forward. Thank you for joining us. Have a wonderful morning, afternoon, evening, or whatever time of day it is. Thank you.